This scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This is God's word to us. Good evening, guys. That came in hot, didn't it? Feeling right. Good evening, guys. Um, I don't know why I said that louder, as though that needed to happen. Hey, my name is Chad Kinser, and I serve as one of our pastors, and I'm really excited to spend tonight with you. If you've got a Bible, open up to the passage that was just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've got um, a lot of work to do tonight, so I want to jump right in to pray and, and get started in our sermon. We're picking up la- tonight where we left off last week. Pastor Josh covered uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 25, uh, where we talked about the gift of tongues last week. And so what chapter 14 is doing in these first 25 verses um, is comparing and contrasting the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy. So where last week was more uh, heavy on the gift of tongues, this week will be more about the gift of prophecy. So we've been in this larger study of the book of 1 Corinthians more acutely over the last eight, nine weeks, this study of 12 to 14, where Paul takes up the workings of the Spirit and spiritual gifts in the church. So this is where we are tonight, just in the study flow, not cherry-picking passages, but just kind of picking up right where we left off, and again tonight on the gift of prophecy. So a lot of work ahead of us. If you would please pray for me, I'll pray for you, and then we'll get after God's Word. God, I want to thank you for what today has been for our church across the morning services I have a lot of faith for what you want to do tonight. I have a lot of faith for how you want to grow us as a people. And I'm just asking that as we go through these scriptures, not only would you help us to understand them, God, not trying to do any sort of tricks with them, but just a plain reading of them in their context and what they would mean for us. And I'm asking that by doing that, we'd understand, but we'd also be more squarely marked as Jesus people in our city more squarely marked as disciples, more squarely marked as people who are after the living God as he's been revealed in your son, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us to all that? And for all the ways that maybe this sermon won't touch on a need that someone has come in with tonight, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would just go ahead and meet that need, that you would speak to that person through, through just time and your presence as we open your word tonight. And so I have faith that you will do that. You don't want any of us to leave feeling orphaned or forgotten or unseen. And so you know how to do ministry. I don't know how to do, God. And uh, I trust you for all that in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Well, what comes to mind as we start tonight, a quick, quick question for you. What comes to mind when you think about God as Father? When you think about who God is as Father, What comes to your mind? What surfaces in your heart? Maybe it's 
Um, maybe it's easy to go there and think about God as Father. Maybe it's difficult because of experiences you've had with an earthly father. If you've been around a conversation around God as Father before in church, you probably heard someone say something like that. Our earthly experiences certainly play into how we understand our Heavenly Father. But here's why I want to cue that up tonight. Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God as Father is really important. It's really important. It shapes the kind of confidence or lack thereof you can have in your faith. It shapes your confidence or lack thereof in your prayers being heard. It shapes your confidence or lack thereof that God has your back and won't leave you holding the bag in life. It's massively important. I named that from the start tonight because some of the greatest growth in my own life and my own faith over the last five years has been trying to do the work, <laughs> slow work with God of taking who he is as father out of the realm of merely a theological idea and asking him deeply, asking him earnestly, would you please make this not just a theological concept, but like part of the bedrock of my experience of who you are and my confidence in who you are. J.I. Packer, a theologian who's recently passed away, famously said this really beautiful and important quote. If you want to judge how well someone understands Christianity, that statement alone ought to get your attention, right? If you want to judge how well someone understands Christianity, then find out how much that person makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. You see, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the fatherhood of God. Father, he says, is the Christian name for God. This is the way that Jesus would insist that we know God, right? Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, what? Our Father. Where Jesus is even saying, I want you to know my father as your father. That's part of the mission of God the Son to bring us in. And so the reason, again, that I bring this up as we talk about the gift of prophecy tonight, this working in this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift comes to us straight from the heart of Father God. It comes to us straight from the heart of Father God. Prophecy is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit points us back to the heart of God the Father. And we're going to get into defining our terms tonight. What exactly do we mean and we not mean? But even before we get there, here's what you've got to know. The gift of prophecy is yet one more way the Father desires for you to know tonight that he's not silent. That whatever he is as a father, he's not a silent father. He's not an aloof father or a cold father or an emotionally unavailable father. He's not an uninformed father over the details of your life. We're only concerned about the big picture, but not the small stuff as you define the small stuff. He's not disinterested or smug. He's not waiting for you to figure out how to get your life together before he blesses you or loves you or accepts you or approves of you. That's not who your father is. You say, how do you know? How do you know that's not who he is? Well, the evidence of all of this, who God is as father, has been most clearly shown to us in the work of Jesus, his son. The son reveals the father. That also comes from the standard of Holy Scripture. And where the gift of prophecy relates to the work of the son and the scripture is that prophecy is this ongoing work of the spirit where we're reminded and we're drawn back into the heart of God as Father and the way that that applies to the details of your life. 
Not just theological ideas, not just intellectual assent, not just faith in the abstract, but the details of your life. The gift of prophecy is a dynamic reminder that our Father sees us, that your Father knows you, and that your Father will not abandon you. That's the good news of this gift of prophecy. So here's where we're going to unpack this gift tonight. We're going to try to answer, ask and answer three different questions. What is prophecy? What is prophecy for? And how do we practice this gift? What is it? What is it for? And how do we practice this? Let's jump into the first. What is prophecy? Look back at chapter 14 and verse 1. Paul opens this chapter with a massive statement. He says this, Pursue love. Pursue love. Now, he's coming right out of chapter 13, which is the love chapter, the download and definition of love, that they were highlighting spiritual experiences to the neglect of love for one another. So he comes right out of that into 14. He says, pursue love, a clear command. Also, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, he says, and especially. Now, it's amazing there. If you didn't know he was going to put prophecy at the end of this sentence, what might you think he would put there? Pursue love earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and especially for Paul, he says that you would prophesy, that you would prophesy. Now, whether or not you know what prophecy is tonight, we're going to get to that in a second, but Paul speaks about this now in a way that you just read verse 1, and doesn't it create a bit of urgency for you? Like, what is this? If you're going to say, I should do this especially, maybe even if I had to choose above anything or several things, you would choose this, prophesy. If you care about the Bible and what it says and having your life formed by it, he just told us to deeply desire the workings of the Holy Spirit, and especially prophecy. The word he uses there for deeply or earnestly desire is the word zelao, where we get our word zealous. It literally means to be jealous for. Be jealous, passionately seek the workings of the Holy Spirit, but especially this one of prophecy. And I want you to notice, he says this in the language of command, meaning that what we're talking about tonight is not like optional for the Christian. This isn't like advice or a suggestion. This is imperative. It's part of the bundle, if I can think of, if you can think of it that way, part of the bundle of what's essential for Christian formation. Pursue love, earnestly desire the workings of God the Holy Spirit, but especially prophecy. Now, if you've been with us of this Last few weeks especially, I've mentioned when I've had weeks to preach, I've mentioned that I come from a background that just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. It was just sort of a mute subject. We didn't talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If we talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit, we sure didn't talk about the supernatural stuff of the Holy Spirit. We would talk about like these weird Christian personality tests where you'd find out who's got what gift and what gift you have. And really, it wasn't so much concerned about the gifts as it was who's got the gifts of helps or who's got the gifts of administration so we can fill the kids' ministry and staff the greeting team and those kinds of things. There wasn't any talk about the supernatural stuff. And so for me, moving from where I was sort of in my Southern Baptist background, we just didn't talk about this stuff, to chapter 14 and verse 1, this command has been a tipping point verse for me in trying to understand what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit that's been poured out because of what Jesus has done? And so if you believe the value of the Bible, if you come from a high Bible teaching background, then you know that when you read your Bible, you can't get around a command. Like a command is a command and you need to obey a command because it is 
God's word to you. You can't get around this verse. Pursue love. You can't negotiate that part. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Every bit of a command is the first part, but especially this gift of prophecy. So what is it? What is it? Maybe the best way to start to understand what Paul is driving at with the gift of prophecy is to understand with the entire Bible in mind, first to talk about what prophecy is not. Before we talk about what it is, I want to put some guardrails around it, some framework around it that I'm not, that I'm not creating, but that are clearly in this passage about what it is not. So the first thing is this, that prophecy, New Testament prophecy, is not telling the future. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about telling the future. Sometimes you hear a hear the word prophecy and you think about it in context of someone talking about a future event, maybe like an Old Testament prophet, and you think about Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophecies about the coming Christ, right? That was an Old Testament form of prophecy, but that's not the same thing that Paul is talking about with New Testament prophecy. And we know this because of what verse 3 says. Verse 3 gives us a distinguishing mark of New Testament prophecy. He says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, he says, for their consolation, for their comfort. So we're going to come back to this verse in just a moment when we talk about what prophecy is for. But he says upbuilding, encouragement, and comfort, those three things clue us into the fact that New Testament prophecy isn't so much about future events as it is about the present situation and details of a person's life and how the truth of God intersects with that here and now. So the second thing that prophecy is not in the New Testament is it's not authoritative like Scripture. It's not on par with Scripture. It's not revelation like Scripture. It's not Scripture. And this is really important, especially if you come out of backgrounds, again, like mine, I mentioned Southern Baptist a second ago. If you come out of a Presbyterian background, or if you come out of a Church of Christ background, this is really important. Because sometimes the major opposition to any idea of prophecy is that someone is claiming to say something that's on par with Scripture. And so there's Whoa, 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 who, who, who do you think you are to say something prophetic? We already have a prophetic word in Scripture. Now, that's not what New Testament prophecy is. Instead, all prophecy, this is, hear this very clearly, all prophecy must be judged by the plumb line of Scripture. The Bible is the highest and final authority for the church. It guides all things of faith and practice. So anything that's a prophetic word will be tested as useful or not based on, does it square with Scripture? Does it square with, this is what God has said. Anything else will be in alignment with Scripture, once for all given to the church. So even though we're talking about the same word that's used in the ministry of Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Moses, and Ezekiel, because when they would talk, if you read the Old Testament, they would say things like, thus says the Lord, and they would speak the very words of God. But New Testament prophecy is in a different category. You see, how do you know that? First Thessalonians, uh, sort of a support reference here, First Thessalonians 5, verses 19 to 21, notice what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Again, like a command, right? Hey, don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so how do I not do that? He tells you in verse 20, don't despise prophecies. 
Like, so don't, don't shut them down. Don't get rid of them. Don't shove them to the side. Don't put them under the rug. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that you for sure not do that is not to despise prophecies. Well, then what should I do with them? He says, verse 21, test everything. Test them. Don't despise sort of this ongoing dynamic of the Holy Spirit to remind you of the character and the word of God. Don't despise that, but test it so that people can't just say whatever it is that they think they want to say and call it a word from God because they think it's a word from God. Test it. Test it by what? The plumb line of Scripture. The plumb line of Scripture. Another way of saying this is that we already have, we already have the perfect prophetic word from God contained in Holy Scriptures Therefore, you and I don't have to guess, is that from God or is that not from God? Is that true? Is that false? Is that helpful or is that not helpful? We know if it's true or false based on its alignment with what's already been revealed in Scripture. So it's not telling the future. It's not authoritative like Scripture. And here's the third thing that prophecy is not. It's not teaching or preaching. It's not teaching or preaching. Sometimes New Testament prophecy can be assumed to be the same thing as what I'm doing on a Sunday. And it is true that teaching and preaching can at times contain elements of the prophetic. If you had a moment where you're like, how did the preacher feel like he was in my head reading my thoughts, knowing, well, at times the Spirit can use teaching or preaching in ways that are prophetic, but consistently throughout the New Testament, teaching and preaching and prophecy are mentioned in different categories or as distinct from one another. Okay, so that's the framework. So what is it in a positive definition? Sam Storms has a really helpful, brief definition that goes like this. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. It's the human report of a divine revelation. Now, the, the phrase human report in his definition is really important. What he means by that is it, it captures all of our human error, right? Divine revelation, if God's really speaking, his word is perfect. God never makes mistakes. He's never going to miss. But we miss. We don't interpret rightly. We don't always understand rightly. It's the human report. It's best we know how of giving sort of a word of divine revelation, Here's, I'll give you my working definition, not as though you're asking for that. Sam is much smarter than me, but here is the definition that I sort of put together this week in my own study and preparation. It'll be on the screen. Prophecy is an attempt to share what seems to be a revelation that God brings to mind for another person based on Scripture applied to the details of their life. Right? So it's an attempt. I'm just, I'm trying to step out here. I think, I think God is speaking. I think he might be pressing on something here. It's an attempt to share what seems to be a revelation from God that he brings to mind for another person based on scripture applied to the detail of their life. Okay. Now, I don't want to make this complicated. I think it's important that we define our terms, but like, let's set this like curbside. Let's set this street level for a second. I would dare bet, as much as we're talking about terms tonight, every Christian, most Christians, have probably experienced the gift of prophecy without knowing you were experiencing the gift of prophecy. Let me, let me explain it this way. Think about moments when you've either been praying 
Or maybe you were just going about your daily life as normal. You weren't praying. Your mind was as far as it could possibly be from praying. But in the course of your daily life or in prayer, all of a sudden a scripture comes to mind. And it was maybe a scripture that you were reading that day in particular. A scripture comes to mind or a vision or a picture or a deep burden for somebody. Maybe you had a dream. And the result of that thought, that scripture, that vision, picture, whatever it was, the result of that seems to be the Holy Spirit inviting you into, revealing to you something that God is doing in a person around you, or wanting to speak to a person that's right around you, or the truth of God's character or word applied to the specific detail of a person's life that you wouldn't otherwise know, but all of a sudden you're burdened for a person in a particular way, and you don't know really why you're burdened for them in the way that you are. Again, I believe that many Christians have experienced this before, and you just didn't know to call that prophecy. But that's because the Holy Spirit loves you and loves his people and will build his church even if you don't have the right terms for it. So here's what I know. God, God is speaking way more than you and I give him credit for. <laughs> he is speaking way more than you and I give him credit for. And as Christians, there is way more going on in you and way more going on around you that you often neglect because you don't know what to do with it. And that doesn't mean, I don't, I'm not, don't, give me, don't hear me saying that like everything that you sense or everything that you think is like from the Holy Spirit or from God. You should test it, right? Like test prophecy with scripture. Test it yourself first before offering it to someone. I've had plenty of moments over the years where people have come to me with, the, with what they believe is a word from the Lord for me, and they'll like share it with me, and I'll look at them and it's like, thank you so much for your faith, but that absolutely has nothing to do with me. Like a complete miss. It's like, I, I love that you stepped out. I, I'm, not, I'm not bothered by that. God's word's always edifying, but that, that doesn't hit me today. There's been moments where I've missed, where I thought I had a word for somebody, I stepped out, started to share with them what I th thought God was doing, and they look at me like, hey, you just whiffed real big, dude. Bad miss. But, hey, listen, but missing on this shouldn't discourage us. Listen to Pastor John Piper talk about the gift of prophecy. He says, God reveals something in some way beyond ordinary sense of perception, meaning very often prophecy shows up with details into a person's situation that you wouldn't otherwise know. And he says, we know that God's revelation is true because it comes from God. It has no error in it. But the gift of prophecy does not guarantee infallible transmission of that revelation, uh, sort of like an unfailing sharing of that revelation. He says, the prophet, the one sharing, may perceive imperfectly may understand imperfectly, and may even deliver it imperfectly. That's why Paul says back in chapter 13, verse 12, we see in a mirror dimly. Or in chapter 13, verse 9, we know in part, we don't know everything, therefore when we prophesy, we prophesy in part, and very often at times we'll miss. But imperfection or missing shouldn't discourage you from stepping out like this. Here's why. Because more often than not, you'll be spot on. And it's not you that's spot on, it's the spirit working in you. You're trying to cooperate and it's spot on. I'll give you an example, a story from my own life. A couple of years ago, probably the most powerful, clear prophetic word that God has used, I mean, even to this very day in my own journey with him. I was in Shawnee 
with Frontline Shawnee. If God can speak in Shawnee, Oklahoma, he can speak anywhere, right? Um, I was in our Shawnee congregation praying with some of the leaders there before a service. And one of their leaders, a guy who I had only met once before, we had exchanged names, that was it. His name is Jared. His name still is Jared, amazing, right? <laughs> After the prayer meeting, he walks over to me and he says, hey, this, is, this feels super weird, but the whole time we were praying, I had this vision of you standing before God the Father, and there was this bowl sitting between the two of you of oil, and God was taking your hands, your hands were cracked and bloodied and um, really beat up from hard stuff maybe you've experienced in life, and he was taking your hands and setting them in this oil to, to heal them. And you would sit your hands there with God the Father in the oil, but as soon as it appeared, that the healing was done just in terms of like appearances, you would pull your hands out of the oil. And God was grabbing your hands again to set them back in the oil, and you kept pulling them out over and over again. And God finally set your hands there and says, I want you to stay. There's a deeper healing work I need for you. And he says, does that mean anything to you? I wished that I had a camera on my face so that I could see what, I looked, what he was looking at as he was telling me this. What he didn't know is that as he was telling me this, for the few years leading up to that moment, I had been, and even in that moment, I had been in and out of counseling multiple times, trying to deal with some anxiety and depression due to some family wounding that I have in my past. And every time that my symptoms of anxiety and depression would sort of fade away, I would eject from the counseling process because I didn't really want to deal with the deeper issue that I knew was there. And as soon as he's telling me this word, he's stepping out believing he's hearing from the Holy Spirit, telling me about some oil that I'm not experiencing, but I am experiencing what the Spirit's doing through this on-again, off-again counseling conundrum I'm in. And... He, the Holy Spirit's applying. I, I know exactly what he's talking about. I feel caught, and I feel seen, and I feel addressed by God the Holy Spirit as if to say, you don't have to be afraid of the healing work that I want to bring to you. Now, can you imagine how awkward Jared must have felt walking across this room to share this to a guy he's only met once before? Now, and here's what's crazy. You can't find Jared's vision, chapter and verse in Scripture, but you test that prophetic word with scripture, and doesn't that sound a lot like the way God works in our life? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is the gift of prophecy. Now, let's get to the second move tonight. What's prophecy for? What is this gift for? Paul answers this question for us really directly in verses three to five, and again in 24 to 25. Pick up in verse three. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, their consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies, he builds up the church. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more, if I had to choose, as if Paul's saying, I'd want you to prophesy. And the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. Why? So that the church might be built up. And so he makes really plain that the purpose of prophecy is for the upbuilding, the encouragement, and the comfort of the church. Being built up to what end, though? Being encouraged toward what? Being comforted toward what? As I mentioned in the beginning, that you would be reminded of the love and the heart of God, your Father. 
So that along your Christian journey, you're going to need to have reminders that God really won't leave you or forsake you because it feels at moments like he has, Hebrews chapter 13. That every hair on your head really is known by him, Matthew chapter 10. That every day of your life really has been numbered by him, Psalm 139. That he really won't lose you and he will raise you up on the great day, John chapter 6. Now, listen, you already have all of those promises. I just quoted scripture to you. All of those promises have been secured for you in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But how prone are we to forget those promises? (laughs) We have those promises, but sometimes it feels like life is working against those promises. The gift of prophecy is one of the ways that God the Holy Spirit reminds you through one another that the Father sees you and he knows you. And even when life seems to be working against his promises, they are sure all the more. It's the gift of prophecies. Let me give you an example of last week in our church of this upbuilding and encouragement. We had one of our leaders come in who was driving on his way in to, uh, to Sunday service last week, pre-service prayer, 8.20 in the morning. He's praying on the way in. What, God, what do you want to do today? Is there anything specific? And just, just praying and trying to listen. And he felt like he got a vision of a woman who would be coming to church wearing a purple dress with frills and that he felt like he had a word for whoever this may be. He didn't have a face. He just said, I believe there's going to be someone coming in today that I'm supposed to give. And he had a specific word. He, he brought that to the elders. He said, hey, am I crazy? Can we, can we test this? Am I, we, hey, let's just, let's just watch and pray and, and see what happens. Sure enough, the 9 o'clock service, a woman walks into the balcony, purple dress, frills. He sees her and he goes, that's exactly what I saw in my prayers. And he comes to one of our elders and goes like, I feel like a big creeper. Like, should I go share this with this person? He's like, hey, it's okay. Her husband's with her. Just go up there and talk to both of them, right? Goes up there, speaks to this woman and her husband, and just says, hey, I, I was praying today, and I believe I had a vision of someone wearing exactly what you're wearing, and this is what God put on my heart to share with you. And he shared it with them. They were struck. They were like, how would you even know to say those things about us? They felt encouraged, seen by God, built up in their faith, comforted by the very presence of the living God. God does this sort of thing. He also gives one more purpose of the gift of prophecy in 24 and 25. He says, but if all prophecy, sorry, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters in to the gathering, well, then he's convicted by all and he's called to account by all because the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. So on the one hand, early in the chapter, he says that prophecy is for the building up of the church. But at the end of the chapter, he says that there's another purpose for prophecy and it's evangelistic meant to be a testimony to non-Christians of the truth of God, even to the point of disclosing the secrets of their heart. Let me give you two quick stories of this use of prophecy. One comes, I love this story from the late 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. I just pulled this out. Like, it's not as though it only happened then, but um, I love this story. Charles Spurgeon, this London preacher, one Sunday called out from the pulpit in the middle of his sermon a shoemaker who was sitting in the congregation that day whom he had never met before, but he called him out for taking unjust gain in his cobble shop. And this is the account of the shoemaker telling his side of Spurgeon calling him out. He says this, Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. And in his sermon, he pointed to me and he told the congregation that I was a shoemaker. 
and that I kept my shop open on Sundays. Shame, shame, shame. He says, and I did. And I should have not minded that, but he also said I took nine pence the Sunday before, and that there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was the just profit, but how should he know that? I could not tell. And then it struck me that God had spoken to my soul through him, so I shut up my shop the next Sunday. And at first, I was afraid to go hear him again, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterward, I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. The secrets of his heart disclosed, leading to faith and repentance in Jesus. Let me give you one more story just from our student ministry camp two weeks ago. We had one of our leaders feel like they heard a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit about a student who was at camp who had recently lost a portion of their hearing and were really frustrated and and really scared about, about what had been happening to them. And so we delivered that word from the stage that maybe there's a student here who's lost a portion of their hearing and you're really scared and frustrated about about your hearing loss. This student from one of the churches that had come from North Texas found one of the leaders at his church who reported back to one of our leaders that said, okay, I have no idea what to do with this. You just described me clearly. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, but how would you know exactly what's going on in me Can you please tell me more about Jesus? The point is, guys, this is a generous and kind gift of God the Holy Spirit where he invites us to participate with him in encouraging and comforting one another, and at times he invites us to bear witness to non-Christians of his truth leading to faith and repentance in Jesus. Your father is not silent Your father sees, he knows, he cares. Here's the final move tonight. Thanks for tracking with me. How do we practice this gift? How do we practice this gift? The first and most important question that comes to practicing the gift of prophecy is the question, well, who can do this? Like, who who can be brought into the prophecy camp, right? Look at verse five. I love this. Verse five answers that question. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So the question, well, who can do this? Paul is wildly inclusive as he sets the frame on this. Any believer of Jesus is qualified to prophesy. Any believer. This doesn't mean that every believer will prophesy, just not like every believer will have the gift of tongues like we talked about last week. Tongues is not an evidence of faith in Jesus. It's just one among many gifts that the Spirit gives out to edify and build up the church. But this gift is open to any and to every Christian. Every Christian should be open to this gift and desire this gift. The command back up in verse 1 to earnestly desire the gifts is not a command just to some, but to everyone. And I'll, I'll point to one more quick reference here on this point of who can prophesy. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter launches the New Testament church with his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And here's what he says, quoting from the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. This quotation from the Old Testament prophet Joel brought up by the Apostle Peter as he's preaching the opening sermon of the New Testament church. He starts in verse 17 
within the last days, that's a reference that shows up again and again in the New Testament, meaning the days between the resurrection of Jesus and the final return of Jesus. The church of Jesus since the resurrection has been in the last days. We are in the last days. And so what Peter is doing by quoting this verse from Joel is showing that the sign of God's redemption in Jesus is his final redemptive work and that the sign of that will be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all Christians until the return of Jesus. So the mystery of prophecy that was limited to a select few in the Old Testament would now be opened wide on the gates of it given to every Christian in the New Testament church, young, old men and women. And so who can prophesy? Any Christian. Any Christian is a candidate for this working of the Holy Spirit, and every Christian should desire it. So let me give you a few practical things as we finish tonight. And the first would be this. Cultivate. Cultivate a practice of listening to God. Cultivate a practice of listening to God in your life. This doesn't have to be complicated. There's not like a chant or some sort of like, incantation, you know. But I wonder what it would be for you just to cultivate a practice of saying, God, what do you want to say today? How would you want to speak to the people around me today and would you use me to offer that word to them? Maybe you're in a situation and maybe a common practice would be something I'm learning to pray is, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this room? And how would you want me to be a part of it? Now, if you pray these kinds of prayers... (laughs) be attentive God's not silent he's not quiet when you pray these kinds of prayers like does a scripture come to mind does a does a picture or a vision come to mind maybe God will give you a word or a phrase maybe you've had a dream now when you have dreams listen God often speaks in dreams some dreams are crazy and you can put them in the category of crazy like right off the bat but some dreams seem to have like a redemptive quality to them and you kind of wonder like is there is there something there hey test it right remember test it like Maybe even ask God, is there something to this? And then say, is there a scripture that would would go with this? And very often when we talk about having a a listening practice, people would say, well, how do I know what's from God? And how do I know, like, if I'm just making something up? How do I know it's me or how do I know it's God? And to that, I would just have two, two really simple things to say. When you're wondering if it's you or God, this is the importance of having an ongoing diet of reading scripture. Here's why I say that. Because God's voice will always sound like God's voice. So as you see the way that, see the character of God through redemptive history, as you see the ways that he's spoken to his people throughout redemptive history, well, he's going to keep speaking that way. Hebrews 13, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and so he's not going to all of a sudden talk in a different way or contradict what he's already said. The scripture is the plumb line. And so how do I know if it's God or if it's me? Well, does it square with Scripture be a first thing to ask? Number two would be like, does whatever it is that you think you're getting from the Holy Spirit lead to more love for Jesus? Does it lead to more obedience to Jesus? If it checks those boxes, then I think it's worth leaning into and saying, well, God's probably up to something here. Here's the second thing I would say. Be willing to risk. Be willing to risk. To move toward this working of the Spirit, our reply or our sort of our engagement here is that we would make a conscious decision to move past the fear of looking weird or messing up or saying the wrong thing. 
right? Like we talked about last couple of weeks, the good weird and the bad weird. Christianity is markedly weird, right? That's okay. Let, let us be who we are as the people of Jesus and let us see what he does. Jesus did a bunch of weird stuff, but there's a good kind of weird. Then there's stuff that's just out of bounds and contrary to scripture. We're not talking about that. But learning to listen comes by practice. And so we want our church, we want your community groups to be a safe place to learn and to grow in all of this. And listen, you're never going to be in trouble in our church. You're never going to be, if that's a thing, like getting trouble in church, right? You're never going to be in trouble by trying to step out into something that you believe God is leading you toward. And if you're off, if you're wrong, I have been too. I still am at times. That's why we have a plurality of elders and not just one elder. We have a team of pastors to kind of judge and sift and weigh and help and lead and guide. If you're off or wrong, we'll just learn and we'll grow together. We'll do that in love, not like in some sort of weird, embarrassing way. Listen, the last thing I want any of us to be afraid of, please hear this. The last thing I want any of us to be afraid of is stepping out and trying to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. If there would be any fear, if there should be any fear in this room, it would be that you and I would go on living the rest of our lives not listening for the voice of God and not taking him seriously and just settling for the status quo. That's something to be afraid of. Stepping out and potentially missing in a moment, there's nothing to fear in that. Jesus is a big boy. He's resurrected from the dead. He'll take care of his church. We'll be just fine. And so here's what I think risk could look like. I think risk could look like you having the faith to say, God, would you give me a prophetic word for someone in my community group? Is there something that you'd want to say to me that I could offer to someone in my community? Or on a Sunday? That could be a way of risk. And then having the, having the faith to step out and share that with them, even if it makes no sense to you, like it made no sense to Jared when he shared with me. Maybe another way of risk. Risk could look like you praying with a coworker who is sick, who's not a believer in Jesus, but stepping out to say, hey, I believe in my God that he heals, and I'm not saying he's going to heal you, but I'd love to pray for you. I think risk could look like not you praying to get a prophetic word for somebody, but you just saying, God, I want you to speak to me. Would you give someone a prophetic word for me? Like, that's a really vulnerable request. God, like... I'm having trouble hearing from you. I had a person come up after our 11 o'clock service this morning, sweet, sweet girl, who just had an honest faith and just said, I'm having trouble hearing from God. Would you pray that God would give me a prophetic word from someone else for me? I love that. I love that. So we prayed into it. Here's the third thing I would say. Fight against functional cessationism. We talked about cessationism a couple of weeks ago. It's sort of the counter view to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they've ceased in the church, they're no longer relevant. And, and here's the thing. I don't actually think that very many people in our church believe that the Holy Spirit has stopped working in the gifts or no more. I don't think that many people believe that. But here's where I do think that we are. It's unhelpful if you have a theology for the gifts of the Spirit being active, but functionally in your life, you're closed off and you don't practice it. And I think that's actually where many of us are. We'd go, yeah, I believe the Holy Spirit works today. I believe the gifts are active today. I just don't, I don't tamper. Like, at best, you're missing out. At worst, it's hypocritical, right? Like, so fight against the functional cessationism. Here's the big finish. A couple of years ago, I was reading, just in my, in my own personal reading plan, 
I was reading through the Gospel of John. Have you ever had one of those moments when it just feels like, have I not seen that verse before? <laughs> like, I've read this. Have I, did I just miss that, you know? I had one of those moments a couple of years ago that I, uh, I mean, just has ministered deeply to me. John chapter 3 and verse 34. This is John speaking about Jesus, God's son sent into the world for redemption. He says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. We would say that's true about Jesus, that God sent him and he speaks the very words of God. But notice what he says on the other side of the comma, and this is what jumped off the page to me. He speaks the words of God and he gives the spirit without measure. God has sent the Son to accomplish his redemptive work of forgiving your sins, but not just to leave you at a neutral sins forgiven, but to leave you at a kingdom advantage, pouring out the Holy Spirit without measure. It jumped off the page. So this means that there's no fill line where God says, well, that's all of me that you can have. This is as much of me as you can experience. No more. That's all you get. This, this is as much as you can possibly hear from me. You've heard from me before. You weren't sore. I couldn't trust you with it, so I don't talk anymore. You, no more. He gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus is liberal in the way that he pours out his presence in God the Holy Spirit on the church to equip us, to continue his ministry, to tether us to him, to make it to the great day. Listen, I don't think there's anybody here tonight who would just say, you know what, I don't need any encouragement. I don't need any of it. I don't need any comfort. I'm totally comforted. Um, I don't need any upbuilding. Like, I'm so built up, it's a little bit uncomfortable how built up I am. I don't need any of that. I don't think anybody would say that. And so listen, our testimony of lack, the fact that we lack encouragement, the fact that we lack upbuilding, the fact that we lack comfort is an invitation to this gift of the Holy Spirit that's a reminder of the heart of your Father for you, that he's not silent. He's not silent. And so I'll end with where we started. Pursue love. Pursue love earnestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially that you might prophesy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us. Oh, man. Father, I do pray that you would help us to obey this scripture. Holy Spirit, would you help us to obey this scripture? To pursue love, to really desire your impact and your influence and your work in our life, especially that we would even learn to prophesy. Father, thank you that you won't leave us, you won't leave your church, you won't leave any person in this room holding the bag left to figure out how to live the Christian life. And so we invite your ministry among us. Would you please teach us? Would you, I'm asking two things as I close my prayer tonight. Would you please raise our expectancy that you actually will meet us here? 
And will you help us to keep saying yes to the voice of the Holy Spirit? I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.